0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi Kirby. Hi Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los Angeles. Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. Thank you. That's cute. Today's episode is a fun one because I have two experts and sources that I used for my most recent story on the show to talk about the learnings that we found together, essentially. So Cosmo commissioned me to write this story about how the pandemic influenced skincare. And what's really interesting is that many, if not all of the biggest trends that we are seeing in 2023 have a direct tie to something that happened during the pandemic. To some of you, this may be obvious. Of course the pandemic has influenced our skincare routines or how we're marketed skincare products. But I did find it fascinating that it all tied together very neatly in a beautiful little bow. The story is on Cosmo.com and it's called How the Pandemic Came for Your Skin. We talk about five categories. I wasn't able to get to everything that I wanted to include in this story. It was about 5,000 words before they cut it down to 3,000. Notably, both tretinoin and sunscreen or SPF, two products or ingredients that proliferated during the pandemic, were not included in this piece because I couldn't fit them into a specific category. So no, this is definitely not an exhaustive list. However, it is a list that is backed up by data and that the sources, that were, there were many of them that I interviewed, agreed Were the top level trends that we will continue to see throughout 2023? So we can dive right into this conversation. I want to introduce our two sources. First, we have Yarden Horowitz, she's the co founder of Spate. Spate is very important to my job. I use it a lot. It is an artificial intelligence platform that identifies top trends in beauty. Over 150 beauty brands rely on the Spate platform to make critical business decisions in marketing and product development, including Estee Lauder, L'Oreal, P&G, Olaplex, Amica, Hero Cosmetics, and so many more. And then prior to founding Spate in 2018, Yarden worked at Google. She specialized in data analysis, storytelling, and brand strategy for advertising clients And in 2015, Yarden launched the first Google Trends report, and then later co-founded the Google Trend spotting division, which identified trends such as turmeric, cold brew, and face masks long before they took off this is a incredible tool that has helped inform so many of the stories that i've written and even videos even episodes of this podcast so yarden is a wealth of information all that to say if there's trends to be talked about from a consumer perspective yarden is the one that people typically go to, whether it's for a story or for a panel. She has talked to any and every publication known to mankind because she really is the authority. Love what they're doing over there. So we have Yarden. She's going to be talking specifically about the consumer side of things and what people were searching. Next, we have one of my favorite sources ever. AJ Aday is a biological chemist, a clinical researcher, and the owner of Sula Labs, Inc., as well as the co-founder of Multi. Her work and her background centers on developing chemical tools and cosmetic formulations for biological output, specifically relevant to darker skin tones. At Sula Labs, she and her team develop products for brands and retailers such as Sephora, Ulta, and Credo in order to fuel an ecosystem of innovation and modernization to the black beauty category. AJ is driven by her passions for scientific problem-solving through R&D, startups and representation for skin of color so when you hear AJ contribute she will speak to the consumer side of things as well but also what brands are looking for and how they're specifically marketing to the general public so really this is a comprehensive 360 conversation that I will be essentially moderating between the two of them and since they were such fabulous sources for this story and had a lot to contribute and helped inform the direction that the story even went, I felt like it was really, bringing them on the podcast was a fun way to kind of not only promote the story, but let you guys learn about two amazing experts that you should definitely follow and keep in touch with. So without further ado, let's get into the combo. Yarden, AJ, Welcome to the brain trust of how we saw beauty evolve during
1: the pandemic. Welcome. Thank you, Kirby. (laughs) Quite the journey. Quite the journey, for sure. For
0: sure. Well, I obviously interviewed you two for this story, and um, I was saying before we got on the pod that you two really did, were so informative I love when my sources share their expert opinions. I think sometimes sources really just think too hard about the question at hand and not adding more context or more information to help inform their quotes and that's what makes you two excellent sources. So any writers that may be listening, reach out to both of them because they know what they're doing. But I want to get into it. So the people that have not read the story, which I'm hoping you'll go read because it was a labor of love. Our skin went through a lot during the pandemic. And yes, we're very aware the pandemic is still a thing. It hasn't just magically disappeared. People are still experiencing it. COVID is still rampant. But A lot of things have evolved since 2020, since we were in lockdown, masking every single day, social distancing. And so really, this story focused on 2020 through 2022, essentially, and what we saw rising in terms of skincare. The focus truly is our skincare routines and how we saw products marketed to us. So I want to go right into the first uh, section of this story, which was the skinification of hair. Without a doubt, I think hair is maybe one of the fastest growing categories. Yarden, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the beauty industry is quite interesting right now. Skincare not growing as much as it was during the pandemic. But yes, hair has definitely had a ton of growth areas, super interesting. And I guess we'll be talking about the skinification of hair has just been like such a fascinating uh, area to watch.
0: Totally. So AJ, to you, what does skinification of hair mean?
2: It's kind of twofold in that there's a marketing aspect to it and there's definitely obviously a scientific aspect to it. In which the marketing aspect to it, I feel like even nomenclature, things like scalp serum is there to like psychologically convince consumers to sort of lessen the distance between skincare and hair care. But from a scientific perspective, I mean, literally even in the product development requests like we've been getting, there's been a large shift towards people really employing you know, ingredients that are traditionally used in skincare, like those large legacy ingredients that we've seen so much efficacy from implemented into hair care. And it's been really interesting from a formulation perspective, for me at least, um, because it's a blooming area of literature as well, scientifically.
0: I'm curious if you've seen any of the skincare brands that you work with reach out to you about maybe considering a scalp serum or a hair care (laughs) product.
2: I have. I actually have indeed. You know, when it comes to, when someone reaches out about like, you know, formulating a retinoid sort of serum, there's so much to base off of, right? Like in many cases, like in our intake form, you can make a long list of benchmarks there. But when it comes to a scalp serum, I often find people making these kind of Frankenstein sort of benchmarks where they have to kind of piece together the attributes of skincare that they really like, that they want to implement into the base sort of sensorial attributes of hair care products that they really like. So... It's been a really interesting um, kind of new area that I've been seeing.
0: Yarden, what are some of the ingredients that Spate saw were on the rise in terms of... And actually, before we even get into that, would you want to explain to the listeners how Spate
1: uh, conducts its research, like what it's based off of? Yeah, of course. Great question. Um, So what we do is we look at over 20 billion search signals, basically everything that people are searching for across beauty and wellness. And we've run machine learning on top of it. That's just a fancy way of saying we use algorithms to help us identify shapes and patterns across that data. And those shapes and patterns help us see, okay, this is picking up versus this is slowing down. And so in terms of ingredients in the hair category, we're looking at every ingredient being searched across all hair care products. Um, we can do it across all hair products and all beauty products in general, too. Um, but in hair, it's been so fascinating because it really has evolved. Um, if we think about, you know, early pandemic, it started off, it was, there was a lot of like hair oiling. So amla um, oil was really top of mind. Consumers were thinking about that a lot. And then as it started to evolve, you know, consumers got a lot more into hair loss and hair thinning. And they started looking up ingredients like minoxidil, uh, rosemary oil, pumpkin seed oil, grapeseed oil, uh, all these oils and ingredients that would really help with hair thinning and hair loss. And now this past year or so, we've been seeing salicylic acid come up. And I think that's so fascinating because that was, of course, such a big trending ingredient in skincare. And now we're seeing it in scalp care too aj
0: if if a brand is including salicylic acid in their hair care products and by the way i don't think salicylic acid is necessarily new in hair care but it's not usually advertised as it's it's advertised as like what the benefit is not necessarily oh we have salicylic acid in it so if a brand is including and marketing we have salicylic acid in this scalp serum hair product whatever What are they trying to solve for?
2: Yeah, so salicylic acid, I mean, you know, obviously it's an acid. So that implies that it has what we call keratolytic properties. So it's able to aid in the process of desquamation. So exfoliation, I guess, is what people usually refer to it as. And what it does is it purifies and has antiseptic properties that are really good for dissolving certain like clumps that are on the scalp. And so it kind of... Is really similar to you know when you're exfoliating at the end of the night it's kind of equivalent in the sense that you're trying to remove a lot of the texture of you know your scalp and that build up on your scalp obviously there's a lot of regulations behind that right like if you want it to be over the counter you don't want it to be too clinically strength because one that's not even allowed when it comes to manufacturing and two a little bit of salicylic acid goes a long way so It's been really interesting to see it being implemented for hair care.
0: This makes me think if maybe like the inky list or the ordinary, like we'll start seeing people take like salicylic acid, just like the pure product and putting it on their scalp kind of like they do with like the ordinary's glycolic acid where they like put it on their armpit mm-hmm. to help with perspiration and all of that stuff. It's really interesting to think about. Yarden, you mentioned how people really got concerned with hair loss. And I think that the pandemic uh, played into this because people were so stressed out. They were at home. They were likely not engaging in their normal maybe beauty routine. Like I know that I used to shower more frequently before the pandemic than I did like during and even after, you know what I mean? Because it like took a toll on my mental health. My habits just changed, like things like that. By shower, I mean like washing my hair, not like we bathe (laughs) in this household, okay? Like we're not Jake Gyllenhaal or whoever that was, okay? So just want to make that very, very clear. (laughs) Um, But one of the other sources in this story was my dermatologist, Dr. Nancy Samolitis, And she had been telling me that She was seeing an uptick in this particular term called telogen effluvium, where it is people who are experiencing either hair fall or lack of hair growth due to stress factors, which could be like COVID attacking your immune system and thus creating inflammation, stress creating inflammation, and really that particular term telogen effluvium is where your hair follicle is in this certain phase where it just is not growing. And so it's there for a while until your body starts to self-regulate again. Exactly. But in the meantime, you're freaking out that your hair's not growing, and you start taking, like, sugar bear hair care and, like, all of these other <laughs> things. And then once your hair starts growing again, you're like, oh, it was this gummy that's just pure sugar, doesn't really do anything, probably overloaded with biotin, which is just why you're getting, like, acne all over your chin. But you're like, no, it grew my hair, so I must keep taking It's like, no, actually, your your body just regulated itself, and then the hair started growing back, so – it's really interesting to see, though, how that particular, fa- I guess, that particular phase of hair growth has influenced so many people to, like, create a hair growth serum or a hair fall oil or or some type of routine to help the hair grow and, and not shed as much. It's, it's like, f- absolutely fascinating to me. Yarden, I wanted to ask you, because... Uh, AJ and I, like, we love spate. And so we were looking at some of the terms from this report that I uh, used to influence my writing. And I we saw that vitamin C was a highly searched ingredient in terms of hair. When I was asking her and a few other of the experts, I was like, are we seeing like l ascorbic acid in hair products
1: lately? Like, what's going on? Do you have any insight as to why that term could have been trending? That is such a good question. i would have to look into the data to see what the keywords were. But we do see that happen quite a bit where something's trending in skincare and then consumers will search for it in hair care. So skincare ingredients has a trickle effect into the hair care category, which is very fascinating. And I think even before AJ was talking about the whole marketing of Got it. it. And I think what's so fascinating is we think we see things like slugging, so facial slugging start to take off and then hair slugging takes off. And so there is such a marketing aspect to it where you can take an ingredient and I'm not recommending anyone do this, but, you know, brands take ingredients that are trending in skincare and bring it into their hair care product. It might not actually do anything, but just the fact that it is trending and it's top of mind for consumers and consumers think it's good overall, they start to become a bit obsessive and use it or look for it across different categories as well.
0: Okay. So for both of you, what do you think are like the hottest hair care ingredients at the moment?
2: Oh, definitely peptides. I feel like that is one of the most translational sort of ingredients that you can easily apply, kind of has a similar mechanism when it comes to skincare as well. Um, And all of our, literally all of our product inquiries that have come to hair care, in fact, folks are telling us, like, we actually don't want oils, we actually don't want butters, and we specifically want protein complexes and peptides Um, especially for building hair strength. I think like hair strength has been a really interesting like topic that has come up over and over, but I don't know, like Yarden, maybe you've also seen peptides like be like top of the category here too, but that's been number one for us.
1: That's so interesting. Um, I, I do think we've been seeing peptides growing, but definitely rosemary oil is still taking over again. This is a consumer perspective. So It might not be what brands are putting out there or brands are, you know, looking for to launch in a year or so, but still consumers are really looking for rosemary oil, minoxidil, uh, ketoconazole. Uh, I can't pronounce it. There are so many ingredients that that consumers started searching for over the last few years that I can't pronounce. They've just gotten so educated. I feel like
0: the rosemary oil is directly linked to miel. Miel. Miel, I feel like that was the oil in terms of rosemary. And I feel like if people couldn't get it, they were looking for an alternative of just rosemary oil. Would you agree?
1: They definitely led that trend. Okay.
0: Yeah. 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 Yardin, you said this to me. You were like, uh, Miel was like one of the top searched.
1: Yeah. I mean, way before Alex ever mentioned it. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, They were definitely trending and they been doing so while well, they're continuing to grow strong god alex
0: earl i would love a spate report on her that's that's up next i just <laughs> I think
1: we all would yeah
0: fascinated with that girl she I, I i'm like if i was 22 and looked that hot i'd be naked all the oh time too gosh. let's just do the damn thing <laughs> um aj you told me something that unfortunately we had to cut out of this story i really wanted to keep it in you were telling me about how like the scientific approach to hair care is something that bloomed out of the pandemic. And we, you know, Dan, you mentioned this, Olaplex led the the charge on that with bond building. But then right before everything shut down, K-18 had launched. Then it blew up on TikTok. And then we started seeing more and more of these like bond building type products where we started thinking of our our uh hair care in a more scientific fashion which i i love because it kind of plays into the fact that now people are searching for terms like minoxidil minoxidil has been around forever it was in rogaine y'all like we like this is not a new thing but the fact that now people are like well i need minoxidil if i want hair growth it's like i think olaplex and then k18 like hand in hand led the way for people to start being more more keen on the fact that, like, they want science in their products. And to your the point you made, AJ, you said anti-aging in hair care is a thing now. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Because this is truly just – I I I when you said this, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I want to write a whole story about it.
2: When it comes to anti-aging in general, I mean, you know, there's a lot one can say about anti-aging as a category, <laughs> which is its own whole episode probably <laughs> – But when it comes to approaching anti-aging and hair, I think what I've been seeing a lot, especially in the literature, is more so like how to preserve the youth of hair, like making your hair look, you know, that younger, sort of like alive, kind of refreshed, awake um, sort of look, which I think is how people approach anti-aging and hair from like a visual perspective. And in result, what kinds of ingredients are born out of that, right? Right peptides biomimetic ingredients like that right ingredients that are that bind water to the or bind hair to water more efficiently ingredients that provide nice film forming gels like things that are great styling tools I think we're moving away from um, just style based approach to hair to like youthful and preservation, similar to how we've seen in skin barrier conversation, right? Like we're moving away from just treating certain aspects and we're moving towards just going back to the basics, which is just how healthy does your hair or your skin look in general? Um, So a lot of ingredients that achieve that, I would say, are coming up in the literature as well.
0: So AJ mentioned the skin barrier. We're going to go right into that. We were, or I I mean, I was at one point over-exfoliating my skin I was using a Clarisonic brush with, like, a gommage on it, okay? So, like, Kirby's skin was freaked out. Thankfully, I got off of that train many years before the pandemic. But I do remember in 2020, the whole idea of a chemical exfoliant was just top of mind for everyone. You needed a glycolic acid. You needed, like, a polyglutamic acid. You needed all of these things to have glowing, beautiful skin. I think people went a little ham on this and totally destroyed their skin barrier, we're dealing with acne, we're dealing with maskne, we're dealing with all these things. And now we're seeing this rush of brands launching different products that talk about resilience, that talk about sensitivity, that talk about nurturing. All of the the marketing terms around this are very much like, we want to give your skin a hug. We want it to be calm. We want to restore it. We want to coddle it in a way. We want to treat it like a little baby and make sure that it's, it's not aggressively over exfoliated or you're you know granted tretinoin was like a huge part of I think the pandemic which we did not get into in the story but like tretinoin doesn't exfoliate your skin that's like a whole different you know mechanism I digress what ingredient do you think signifies this particular trend in terms of like a gentle giant ingredient
1: so what we were seeing on our end, yes, people were one hundred percent looking up everything around sensitive skin, and then we started to see the the benefit gentle the claim start to come up a lot, and uh, and like all the product names were you know some sort of gentle variation or for sensitive skin. Um, but in terms of ingredients, it's so fascinating because, and yes, it's different ingredient, it's different um, purpose, but like retinol and tretinoin it really took over during the pandemic, even after consumers were looking up sensitive skin. However, um, the ones that are a bit more sensitive, like snail mucin, that came up. Any um, slugging, again, Vaseline, you know, people were just like slopping Vaseline on their skin, um, which I think kind of gave that idea of like hugging your face, giving your face like a nice little gentle hug. Uh, and then I guess it kind of evolved into the whole trend of skin cycling. So it's like, you can still use these harsh ingredients, but you just have to know how to use them better.
2: Yeah, I I think I said this in the article, but there was a point in like that initial stage of the pandemic where we wanted to kind of come down to like a calmer state. And I think that was definitely reflected in our approach to skincare and our approach to just self care and personal care in general. And that is very much achieved by just, you know, focusing on the skin barrier. Like there's so much education around the skin barrier. We were all, you know, essentially convinced because it's true. It's not it's not a joke (laughs) um, that really just addressing the very foundation of your skin is really setting your skin up for good health. Because at the end of the day, it's not as cosmetically focused as it used to be. I think whenever you asked somebody before this time that barrier care was ushered in what their skin concerns were, they would be things that were far more cosmetic, such as, you know, hyperpigmentation, such as blemishes. And now people are saying how their skin feels, like my skin feels tight. My skin feels itchy. I feel flakes on my skin. And so those are all things that can be addressed by barrier care ingredients. I think it's really interesting too, because these are ingredients that are again, informed by our skin structure, very biomimetic ingredients, such as lactic acid as a humectant, like, you know, she's gotten her shine there. And lactic acid is one of our natural moisturizing factors. Things like sodium PCA, things like using amino acids as natural moisturizing factors, even urea, all kinds of things that are literally found in our skin that we're now applying as natural moisturizing factors to really reinforce the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, it's really about your skin structure and your skin's barrier um and it's also great to it's great for us as formulators too right like it's a moisturizer <laughs> at the end of the day it is literally just a moisturizer <laughs> which is all you need <laughs> right i'm
0: curious if urea is on the move this year because i feel like i'm seeing it pop up more in
1: my inbox when i get pitches for new product launches uh, it's definitely coming up in searches and again so interesting to see how consumers are searching these ingredients. Um, something else that came up quite a bit was uh, when skin barrier did start to take off from consumers searches, um, Crave Beauty was really owning it. They were one of the first brands that were like tying themselves to the term skin barrier. And uh, they had ingredients like Temenu oil, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that was trending as well during um, the pandemic or during that time. So definitely like these ingredients that are being tied to these products that are positioning themselves against the skin barrier are becoming more top of mind to consumers. And yes, skin barriers continuing to trend. So consumers are definitely, you know, still interested. It's just so crazy. You mentioned the like idea of your skin tightening and like thinking back to those days of like oxypads and like thinking that's that's what's working. Like if it's right. tight, it's good. <laughs> if it's burning, it's good. It's working. Um we've come so far.
2: Exactly. I also think there's now been like a rebrand for certain ingredients like petrolatum, like You know, people would see that and be like, ooh, petroleum. And now they see that and they're like, okay, good. Even like silicones are kind of getting to be like redeemed a little bit more now because of that occlusion effect. Um, And what's actually like interesting that I wanted to mention was that a lot of our product inquiries and, you know, we get a lot now to the point that like we take data on like what black consumers are wanting and what black beauty founders are wanting in um, their products. So we found that like a large majority of our new product inquiries say like we actually don't want to use hyaluronic acid. We actually don't want to use niacinamide. And I think it's you know because they've been overused ingredients like from a marketing perspective but it's been really interesting because it's kind of forcing folks to get more creative as to how they can address the skin barrier outside of those more traditional like hyaluronic acid niacinamide, sort of story ingredients that we've seen?
0: No, it's, it's kind of interesting, especially with hyaluronic acid. It was the ingredient that you put into everything. And I think now when you see a product that mentions hyaluronic acid, it's almost like, why are you even bringing this up? Every single product has it. Nobody cares. It's not that important. Hyaluronic acid kind of reminds me of Taylor Swift in a way. It's like, There are haters of hyaluronic acid. This is actually destroying your skin. This is actually making your skin worse. It's terrible. The ingredient is not inherently bad. There's just ways that you're probably not using it correctly or depending on where you live, it could be causing more harm than good. It really just depends. You mentioned that, especially when it comes to product development, creating something for the skin barrier is way not easier but like better almost because it's going to cater to more people you're going to have a broader audience when you're developing yeah right
2: exactly and i mean like the function of a moisturizer really is sometimes when folks tell me what they want in a serum they want to address certain things but it not be like too drying like you know still have some occlusion i'm like okay but you want a moisturizer and i think it's okay to normalize moisturizers (laughs) just period (laughs) and normalized moisturizers as as star like really really like substantial skincare products because they're designed to add humectancy to the skin and then also impart occlusion for that humectancy and those are the two things that you're getting out of you know doing all these steps and then slugging right so It's so much more universal, and I've also seen in testing, because we do like to have a big emphasis on testing um, a lot of our products and also kind of diversify ways to substantiate claims, is I've seen more of a rise of the human repeat insult patch test, which is HRIPT study, which is a clinical test that's, you know, you get a hypoallergenicity claim out of it, and I'm seeing more value to that claim now, like for folks to want to actually spend the money to do that clinical test um because folks want to see that they want to see that it's hypoallergenic
0: all right let's move on yarden i just want to quickly touch on the zoom boom because this was mentioned in that report that i keep referencing that i I cannot remember which one it was but it was the one that i interviewed you about essentially and it did talk about a rise in certain skincare treatments that I think was directly tied to the zoom boom this section of the story I interviewed a cosmetic dermatologist which was is my own and a uh, board certified facial plastic surgeon Dr. Amir Karam who is incredible and he was talking about the fact that you know during the pandemic he couldn't operate on people and so he was spending his time making content informing his audience of like okay this is this is how I do my face lift technique, or this is why you look crazy when you get filler, or this is what Botox for TMJ can do. That's great, but things you need to be careful about. And his platform has exploded. People, I think, are now less intimidated by the thought of even an aesthetic injectable like Botox. Before it was very taboo. You did not talk about it. I personally think that the reason for that is because of TikTok. TikTok obviously blew up during the the early stages of the pandemic. And then as people started going back out into the world, they're talking about things from this was my face before and this is my face after I got botox injections in my masseter muscle this was my smile before then i went to russia and got russian veneers and i made my little my teeth into little nubs and now i have this perfectly white smile and then you have the dentist going don't do that that's destroying your mouth you she's gonna not have any like teeth in like 10 years so i think now people are starting to share their personal experiences and they don't feel weird being like yeah i got a rhinoplasty or like literally this week i saw a girl She could not have been like older than 25 she's like i gifted myself a makeover and it was like a one minute video of all the things that she was doing so she like changed her eyebrow shape with a professional she dyed them darker she went and got her hair did and then she gets like a rhinoplasty as a part of it you know what i mean like makeovers for me when i was younger were like going to get new clothes like this young woman is basically saying like plastic surgery is a part of this I say all that to mean that I think that the pandemic ushered in this new wave of this is not taboo anymore. This is what people are doing. I want to share my experience with you. Yarden, how does that tie to Zoom, in your opinion?
1: Well, I I think, and I think you spoke to this in the article, um, but it's really like people spent so much time looking at themselves. When you're on a Zoom call, I mean, I'm looking at you right now, but typically I'm looking at myself and I'm noticing all of the flaws in my own face. And it definitely um, drove people to go book um, appointments. And I think, you know, not only are you criticizing yourself, but you're looking at how perfect everyone else looks. And everyone has the same nose. Everyone has the same chin. We're at a point now where like, I can't, sometimes tell the difference between kim kardashian and megan fox i'm like they used to look so different now they look the same it goes to show how achievable all of these looks are if you want it you can have it you just need to pay for it some people are you know going a buy now pay later route. i don't know how they're all able to afford this um but it is super interesting and it just it shows that anyone can get it done and i think to your point the um there's so much more support around it. Uh, if you look at the comments and somebody like, if anyone's like, oh, no, you're too young to be doing this, you'll see all the other messages, people like jumping on being like, no, it looks great. She should do whatever makes her happy. And, you know, there the perspective has completely shifted.
0: Okay, let's move on to melanin focus. We don't have to get into like every single minute detail of what happened in 2020, I do think, though, it became a priority for brands to start thinking about the black consumer and what they experience in skincare specifically. Because we did have this comeuppance in cosmetics and makeup. Skincare, I do think, was left behind. And what I started to see after, um, especially, you know, the the death of, uh, the killing, rather, of George Floyd, and then... Sharon Shooter doing pull up for change and asking companies to say, who do you have black leadership wise at your company, put it out there, take responsibility. Then I think people sort of think to themselves, okay, great. We're starting to actually communicate that the black community needs to be a priority. It cannot be an afterthought. It cannot be this thing that you tokenize and that you use for marketing and then not actually cater to us. And so we saw the rise in brands that specifically they are were created and marketed for melanin rich skin we have edem who created their first product which was to focus on uh, clearing hyperpigmentation on deeper skin tones which obviously is like a huge concern because you can't just put hydroquinone on on a deeper like four five six on the fitzpatrick scale right like because it'll bleach your skin and then we saw a rise in different custom options specifically for black skin uh we saw celebrities now there's a whole incubator a-frame specifically caters to celebrities wanting to make beauty brands and they launched loved one with john legend they have uh, naomi Osaka's brand they have gabrielle union and Dwayne wade child care line um and then we have sula labs Sula Labs focuses on the Black consumer and Black brands. Did you see like a rise in specific ingredients in terms of Black skincare?
2: Oh my gosh, yes. I think all of these changes happened all at once. (laughs) Like literally all at once. And so if you recall, you know, Topicals Faded, I believe, was around at the time. And it was quite new and of course like all these conversations were happening all this new marketing was happening everything at once and I think people were associating all of the things together we saw a lot of success from topicals faded the ingredients in that product I believe are like tranexamic acid licorice root extract Um, I get those in product increase all the time now Um, all of the You know, lactic acids, the traditionally exfoliating AHAs that also have brightening properties. Retinol as a brightening ingredient has been popping up a lot, of course. um, I mean, so like kojic acid, alpha arbutin, like all of those ingredients, I would say, specifically for darker skin. Notice I didn't say vitamin C. Specifically for darker skin (laughs) have been popping up.
0: I did the story um, on the launch of John Legend's brand, Loved One. Mm -hmm. The whole thing was this this was created with melanin-rich skin in mind. And the thing that I couldn't get from the brand was what in these products is specifically better for melanin-rich skin? Like, is it clinically proven that rosehip oil is actually better for a deeper skin tone than like some other oil. Same thing with like shea butter. What what specifically about it? That's what I couldn't get. And I interviewed two amazing cosmetic chemists for that story, they were critical. They are both black, and they are both critical of the term created for melanin-rich skin. What are your thoughts on this? I'm I'm curious. Like, do you have a, an opposing opinion on it, or do you agree that like there are certain ingredients that are better for for black skin?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I own Sula Lab. So, clearly, to some extent, <laughs> to some extent, my foot is in the bucket, right? I do believe that there is a way in which we can. And like we've seen efficacy there, where there's a way in which we can develop technologies that do specifically target solutions more faced by dark skin consumers, and those solutions are typically things like for hyperpigmentation. So going back to what I said about vitamin C, like that's usually not going to cut it for if it's Patrick six. So you know we got to introduce some kojic acid, some alpha arbutin, some of those legacy ingredients that have worked really well for darker skin tones. It's more so the concerns. That are more faced by people with darker skin tones that can be addressed by products of any brand. Um, But like I said earlier, a lot of these things happen at the same time. So we saw a lot more marketing towards darker skin consumers, towards black consumers as a whole. We saw a lot more brands erupt. But the thing about that is. I don't believe, and this is why I think there was a need for Sula Labs in the beginning, I don't necessarily believe that you can tackle, you know, really showing up for Black consumers without doing it from just the marketing level. I really do believe that you have to do it from also the research, development, and ideation level, which is the whole ethos behind Sula Labs, right? Like, you know, even collecting data, like, from everything Yarden does, right? Like what are black consumers saying? What are they searching? What are they not liking in their products? Like even internally, we have a whole database of, of, you know, SEO data that shows products that have worked historically better for darker skinned consumers when it comes to hyperpigmentation. Um, So it really does come from allocating more resources behind the research and the development to really tackle the source of how to serve these consumers rather than just marketing towards them. So that's how I feel about it. Love, <laughs> love. Lastly,
0: I want to touch on serotonin skincare. This was kind of a term that I made up, but I felt it because I was looking at my vanity and I I was like, oh, that's such a cute package. Or like, ooh, I love putting this on my face. Like, it's fun. Or I have a little star face sticker on my pimple, but I like look cute. And I'm not even... Hiding the fact that I have, it's not like one of those clear patches that you're trying to disguise it and pretend like it's not there. It's literally like, I have a pimple, here it is, but I look cute because it's like a smiley face or whatever. What brands do you think are fun to look at and are just fun to use?
1: I, okay, Starface, crushing it, like so fun. And just the fact that you can watch White Lotus and my husband will be like, oh, Starface, like the fact that he knows that, you know, it's so wild to me. I love experiment too. Experiment, such fun packaging. The product itself is just so fun to use. Like I feel like, like yes, dolphin skin is coming to life. Um, and yeah, topicals. We talked about topicals quite a bit, but their packaging is so fun. And talking about a serious topic like hyperpigmentation, which has been so boring or just like serious, um, and bringing fun colors and fun packaging to it is exactly what's needed, I think. Um, There was a huge focus on minimalism in packaging and we went through like the derma phase. Uh, I believe there's like the aesthetic called clean core and it's just like super serious and now everything is changing and consumers are like generally into maximalism now. It's becoming more and more important and we want to see that in our packaging too.
2: Yeah, I was going to also say experiment. Love Lisa, love the brand. I think also Euphoria has some pretty fun packaging. Um, I think when I think of fun, I'm also like the sensorial experience, right? So um, I also love like products that kind of take an alternative approach to like, you know, the end goal. So anything that's like a like a really interesting formula, like a, a serum that breaks on your skin, like an oil that actually breaks into a serum or something like that, like adding a little extra step of fun into something. Um, which I've been seeing in like experiments products lately a lot and then also like tools we see so many tools I think those are so fun like the eye patches and like you know all the rollers and stuff I have a fun time with those
1: yeah there was like that whole spa headband craze yeah where we all had like bunny ears and stuff going on yeah.
0: <laughs> yes so Yarden I'm curious did Spate see any indication that like people just want to have fun Girls just want to have fun, boys just want to have fun, non-binary friends want to have fun. Like, was there any like uh trending, I guess, research that indicated like we are entering the maximalist phase in terms of what things look like or how things like perform on our skin?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. It's hard to say with search in terms of like like people aren't searching skincare for fun, you know, but you can see trends. So like you can see the spa headband take off. That was November 2020. Um, And I think that's just TikTok, TikTok in general, like TikTok has brought so many of these, what we call fads, um, but it just goes to show that people are like craving some excitement, some new trend where like we understand the repercussions and the consequences of putting too many ingredients on our skin. But we still want a new fun fad and something to par- participate in. It's like how we engage in beauty. So um, so I think that in itself, just the fact that there's a, there's still new beauty trends happening every week, just goes to show that consumers are not done.
0: I actually love that take, Yarden, because I am very anti-trend, to be completely honest. Like anytime someone's like, this is a new way to apply your makeup or whatever, I'm like, God, this is so stupid. Like, why? Like, this is not even going to be around. But you're right. It is an element of fun. It's trying something new, seeing how it works, enjoying it if it doesn't work for you, you don't have to keep doing it, but it's like this it's like a game almost. It's like a game like exercise in your beauty routine to see if something's going to stick or not and and how well it works or not.
1: Yeah, exactly. There was um the green tea face mask stick. <laughs> Did you see that? It was like obviously a scam. Obviously didn't work, but people still bought it. It still trended for quite quite a bit of time because everyone wanted to like just show that themselves like they them doing it and showing that it didn't work because that's their way of engaging. And it lasted for a while. Like search green tea face mask stick was taking off for like months. It wasn't just like a week. It was it was a continued trend and like green tea even had like a bit of a resurgence because of it. And like face mask sticks, like all different types of, like it's it's so interesting to see how that can happen.
0: Yeah, and it really is like a mood thing too. Whether it's a trend or whether it's a fun product in like cool packaging or even just the, the mechanism of how it you know feels on the skin, if it pops, if it goes from like a foam to a liquid or whatever, It does affect your mental health in a way. And I, in that aspect, you know, we used to take these quote unquote shelfies where you had this perfectly curated medicine cabinet that you would see on Into the Gloss. And it was like full of like your millennial pinks, neutrals. And and I would argue that this is why Kim Kardashian's brand is not the most talked about brand because it's so boring. It looks like stone and it's not interesting to look at. It looks heavy. (laughs) It looks heavy, but it's not. Kim is my problematic fave. So like this, this, the listeners know, like I, I do enjoy a Kim Kardashian moment, but like I have so many criticisms of that brand. But I do think part of it is like she could have done something really cool and different in a fun way. Even though I do think this packaging, like the stone stuff was different, I just think it fell flat because people are like, I wanna literally
2: look at a product and be like, ooh, like maybe North will though. Yeah,
1: I was just thinking that.
0: North <laughs> products,
2: North for sure. Maybe North will do that.
0: <laughs> literally, are we buying an 11 year old skincare products? like in three years? Definitely. Probably. I I don't know. That girl's a genius. Mark my words. Like she's gonna do something cool. She probably formulated (laughs) herself. (laughs) She formulated everything herself. She has like no regard for any type of like strategy or like what anybody's using. No mokra No. No, uh, Yeah. No. (laughs) All that to say is like I'm I'm holding up here a brush right now from Maine. It looks like a 70s paddle brush. Don't look at my hair. A 70s paddle brush. It's cute. Has a holographic. Like I enjoy using it. I'm like, oh, I look. I look like baby. Oh like a Barbie yeah I'm like a little barb when I do this so serotonin <laughs> skincare serotonin products I think people we just want to be happy that's the bottom line we want to be happy if happiness exactly. is 20 minutes while doing our makeup and skincare routine in the morning great but we want to figure out how to do that so I we, we are reaching the end of this conversation I want to know from both of you what do you think is going to be big in
2: 2023 in terms of skincare Like you just said, we just want to be happy. (laughs) I think consumers are tired, you know, of always trying to find the answer. They're like, just give it to me straight. Like, is this going to work? Is this not? Like they're seeing through a lot of some of the, you know, the fluff that a lot of you know marketing can sometimes cause and and trends can sometimes cause but i think they just want to i think people want to do what works for them and so that's why you see so many new ingredients like it used to be like the star five ingredients but now there's like a whole like range of ingredients in which you're finding the ultimate search of which one ultimately like just works best with your skin more often
1: yeah i agree with all of that i think there is this pursuit of happiness and beauty as well. And it's kind of never ending. I think if we get like really micro, some of the interesting trends are more like Dewey has been so in. I think matte is starting to pop back up. So we'll see that come up. And of course that's makeup, but also like how does skincare Play into that, um, but then more long term and more like this pursuit of happiness. I mean, people are talking about like age doctors and you know just getting even more and more knowledgeable of their skin and what matters and how they're continuing to evolve. Um, and yeah, it's just so fascinating, especially with the procedures and things like Ozempic. So curious to see the impact that will have. And again, mentioning that you know everyone kind of has the same nose on TikTok? Like, are we going to have trending noses? Are we going to have like the nose of 2023 versus the nose of 2024? I'm very curious
2: to see how it all pans out. I think it's also just really interesting to see how much wellness has come into the conversation as it relates to your skin now in relation to your whole body, um, your microbiome, the conversations that your your organs, microbiomes are having with each other. Um, wellness is a form of happiness is a really interesting sort of topic.
0: Amazing! Thank you two so much for coming in and sharing your insights with our lovely glam Julinos.
1: Where can we find both of you online? Where would you like our our listeners to go and support? You can go to Spate's Instagram, Spate NYC. We have. Ton of new data coming out all the time. It's really fascinating and
2: fun. And for me, you can go to Sula.labs to learn more about Sula Labs on Instagram and on Twitter. I think it's just Sula Labs on Twitter. So S U L A L A B S.
1: All right, that's it. Thank you everyone for listening. We will be back
0: on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website,
1: GlossAngelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us through hosts. I'm Sarah Tan, that's
0: S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms.